moving along into our uh, time of the word this morning, beginning a new series. I'd like to start with a little bit of an introduction. I'm not sure how many of you uh, knew this about me, uh, but um, I'm kind of an on-again, off-again graduate student. I'm still kind of working on a uh, Master of Divinity degree through, of course, a place where I earned my bachelor's degree, Hope International University. My schoolwork is currently on hold. Now, I went from, you know, being an undergraduate student and earning a bachelor's degree, and then I didn't really take much of a break. I jumped in just a couple years later into graduate school, and I almost immediately noticed the difference of the classwork. And let me just say, if you're, and maybe some of you have been there, you can share in this feeling. But if you're not used to the pursuit of higher education, and you're trying to go about it, and you're trying to, you know, do all the adult things, all the regular adult things, you know, you've got a job and a house, and et cetera, it can be a struggle. It can be quite uh, a load to carry. There's a story told about a, a student who approached their college finance professor just before taking a final exam. The student had a question to ask. Now, this particular individual hadn't exactly been uh, top of the class for the semester, if you get my drift. The student asked, can you tell me, uh, professor, what grade I would need to get on this exam to pass the course? The professor gave the student the bad news by saying, unfortunately, this exam is only worth 100 points. You would need 113 points to earn a D in finance. Okay, replied the student. Could you then tell me how many points I would need to get a C? Not happening, is it? The struggle is real, and sometimes, like in the case of this student, we can bring the struggle on ourselves, can't we? Well, we're beginning a new series, as you might hear people say these days, the struggle is real. And it is in so many ways, isn't it? Even if we don't know what the struggle is when people say that. I knew about a week and a half ago I was going to begin this series uh, on the subject of worrying uh, because some of us struggle with worrying. And I was uh, first on a break from the pulpit. We had the 100th anniversary at Rock Lake last weekend. And next, on this continued break from graduate classes, I wasn't too concerned. You know, I figured I had plenty of time to get my message done. And then I spent a good portion of the week, had, you know, what, sick kids. I was dealing with some strep throat, two rounds of antibiotics. And this is all on top of the usual uh, lower back junk I deal with. And I wondered just how much of a sermon I was going to ha uh, have to, you know, earn a D for the morning. You know what I mean? And that ends my sermon on worrying. I hope you enjoyed it. <clears throat> There's just a tad more. But the struggle we're going to discuss this morning is worrying. And I have to be honest with you friends, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. It is. Just ask my wife if you don't believe me. It's a subject I'm well familiar with. How about you? Would anyone else agree with me in saying when it comes to worrying in this life, the struggle is real? The struggle is real. It's so easy to worry about things, isn't it? It's so convenient. Worry is an easy activity to assume when we realize we don't ultimately have the power over a situation, right? We're expecting a check in the mail or uh, maybe a direct deposit to hit a bank account, and we're praying it hits soon. 
uh, we, maybe we've only got so many days to get a certain presentation finished for someone, for the board. Life has happened to us in the meantime. There's been things come up, sick kids and strep throat and you name it. In this case, maybe we uh, didn't necessarily have a point of power over the situation. But the struggle's worrying, the struggle is real. And maybe our physical health or the physical health of someone very close to us in one way, shape, or another is failing. And we wonder how much, maybe even how soon. Well, if you're like me, and uh, if you are, I feel sorry for your spouse. I will never get tired of that. But if you're like me, you're not only uh, quite adept at worrying about the bigger issues, but any issue, given the opportunity. If something can be worried about, you'll worry about it. Uh, did I turn the stove off before leaving for vacation? You know, did I tell the kids, bring a lawn chair because we're going to be out at the campfire this time? Did I remember to get the baby out of the back seat? That's kind of a thing these days. Don't talk to me about that because Becky and I, you know, we've got stories. But anyway... Maybe we're in a panic of a morning, and this, this one's bad, this one's terrible, but maybe we're just trying to find a, a coffee filter. I've got this great bit on coffee filters. I've, I've gone through this before, but I love it, so I'm going to go do it again. You, sorry, you have to suffer through it. A friend once shared with me online that, uh, I'll put it this way, I always thought for sure it was impossible to run out of coffee filters. You know what I'm talking about with that? Like there was a little coffee filter gnome who left you one or two in the cupboard. It just seemed to be the reality. I, I agree with this, by the way. You know, because the coffee filters were just there. They, they were just always there in the cupboard when you made coffee. It's a real shame when you come to find out there is no coffee filter gnome. He's not real. Person goes on to say, I'm out of coffee filters now. I can't find any paper towels, right? Because that's plan B. It's also 5.30 in the morning, and there's a very dense fog outside. What do we do? What do we do? This is the struggle of worrying. This is the struggle of worrying, and the struggle is real. But the good news is, maybe not including coffee filters, because I think that's a serious calamity, but <clears throat> usually we find that the struggle of worrying is much ado about nothing, don't we? We usually find we worry for no reason. There's a story told about an exasperated husband who asked his wife one evening, why are you always worrying about this or that? It doesn't do you any good to worry. And the wife turned and quickly responded to her husband, sure it does. Most of the things I worry about never happen. See, it's practical. <clears throat> but statistically, <clears throat> this is true. You realize that 8% of the things you and I typically worry about are situations of which we have any influence in the first place. Only eight. You wouldn't plan a, rain, uh, plan a rain makeup day over that number. Now let's look at the rest of the pie here. 40% of things most people worry about never happen. 40%, that's a good chunk. 30% of what we worry about has already happened and can't be changed anyway. 22% of what we worry about pertains to problems which are beyond our control. But yet, how many of you would say, you know, you worry 60% of the time or better, right? How many? 
We worry often. We worry in the faith. We worry about our kids and our parents and our finances and social situations and health issues and politics and politicians and social media and vehicles and hobbies and coffee filters and lawnmowers and finding something to do and having uh, more time to get things done and things that are uh, long in the past, things of the present, things of the future, and so on and so forth. The struggle seems to be worrying for us. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. His words should be a game changer for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And he goes on to say, verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? He goes on, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. Again, this is Jesus talking. This is our Lord talking to us. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Then Jesus says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Then he says this, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what is really the problem here with this struggle, with this worry? Beyond uh, maybe our diet plan or our wardrobe or our busy schedule or our broken appliances and beyond our social anxiety, the problem is not really any of these things when we get right down to it. There's a report released by the U.S. Library of Medicine that prolonged worry and anxiety can be directly related to coronary heart disease. So maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about, do you think? But it's not a broken appliance itself that, that causes us physical harm, maybe unless we've shut a finger in the door, maybe. But the struggle of worry, according to Jesus, means we struggle with carrying the weight of the world. It means a struggle with carrying the weight of the world. Jesus uses this word in the text uh, back here in verse 32. Gentiles. And again, remember, he's speaking to his followers here. He says, for the Gentiles, the nations of the world, or the worldly, seek after all these things. This is their priority. This is their concern. Then he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. You see, while the Bible tells us Jesus has overcome the world, we, we know that from Scripture. When we worry, we doubt that he's really in charge. We doubt that he's really the one in charge. If you worship with us uh, regularly, you might know from time to time we sing a, an old spiritual song. Uh, 
He's a mighty good leader. You remember that? We sang it a few times. As in, you know, he led my father all the way, all the way from earth to heaven. He's a mighty good leader all the way. Uh, due to popular demand, I'm going to start singing again. Bet you can't wait. I might get somebody else to clap, though. But our problem, Christ followers, is that although we, we say we believe in a Jesus that can lead us all the way from earth to heaven, we even uh, sing about it. For some reason, we don't believe Jesus is capable of taking care of us before we take off. Our struggle is trusting Jesus to take care of the world around us. Now, you know, we, obviously we can't uh, just let Jesus put groceries in the fridge. You do physically have to do that for yourself. Jesus isn't going to pay the light bill for you next month. He's not going to uh, literally drop clothes on your kids, uh, make sure those uh, clothes are out of the dryer in the morning. I hate that, you know, when I don't have a pair of pants I need. He's not going to drop money in a PayPal or a GoFundMe account just because you put a, an email address out there online. God is not going to bless you just because you shared that post on Facebook, just for the record, you know, that needs to die. That's not happening. But what is happening is that these individual issues, the groceries and the roof and the clothes on our kids' backs, these are ultimately not what keeps this world spinning. God is. God is. And if it's the same God who keeps the world spinning for the birds and the lilies who have their needs met and don't worry about it, why do we worry? Why do we worry? Instead of trusting our care to God's provision, or isn't it out of pride that we struggle with worry in the first place? One study finds that uh, how many uh, worry for how long? This is interesting. <clears throat> A third of all Americans worry intensely for at least 90 minutes a day. 90 minutes a day. Despite the words of Jesus, it's like we don't believe God finds us valuable enough to take care of us. But our God considers us very valuable. Very valuable. Uh, just consider his words again. Remind yourself of them. Verse 26. In comparison with all of God's cre uh, creatures. We're considered so valuable. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You and me, we're to die for. Amen? We're to die for. But think of the valuable time we waste thinking otherwise. So Jesus says, stop wasting your time worrying about your time, worrying about you, doubting me. Verse 30, stop wasting your time doubting me. Now Jesus isn't saying to the faithful in the text this morning, because this can be another trap, uh, just live in a daze, just, just walk around pretending that all life is perfect. Do you ever meet people like that? Uh, you know, people that want you to think, I have no problems whatsoever because I'm a Christian and life is good and Jesus has made everything perfect. And you're just, uh, yeah. The late author Kurt Vonnegut Jr. years ago wrote his own ironic epitaph, quote, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Do you ever meet people that want you to think that in the church about the Christian life? Everything is beautiful and nothing hurts in my life. Just look at my Facebook page. I'm too blessed to be stressed. As though Jesus wasn't stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane before the crucifixion. He must just not have had enough faith. 
as though Jesus didn't actually carry the weight of the world on his back when he went to the cross for us. But here's one big difference. We're not he. We're not Jesus. So why not let Jesus worry about the weight you carry? Your cares, your concerns, your hardships, these things that eat at you, no matter what they are. You see, Jesus never intended for you to have this struggle of worry in the first place. Yes, you must acknowledge your cares and concerns and then let go of them. Give them away. Jesus intends Christians to give our worries to him, to place them in his nail-scarred hands, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, verse 33, instead of just seeking kingdom Josh, as I'm prone to do in my little faith. You know, it would be a, an easy argument that worry for the right reasons is justified before God. For example, if you or a loved one lived in the path of uh, Hurricane Dorian, your concern for their well-being would certainly be understood before your peers. This is understandable. Uh, you know, uh, in contrast uh, to whether or not you're going to get that uh, she shed built this season or not. We'd probably say, well, it's okay to worry for the right reasons. But consider this statistic. We don't even typically worry for the, the quote-unquote right reasons. A pair of psychologists at Penn State University conducted a survey to determine, quote, the single most frequent source of worry for most Americans. Can you guess what it was? Not hurricanes, not uh, for the best interest of someone in our family, not even something perhaps less consequential uh, like a building project, do you know what we worry about more frequently than anything? Other people's opinions of us. Other people's opinions of us. A study has actually shown that our single most frequent source of worry overall, brothers and sisters, isn't even, quote, a world going to hell. You'd think in the church that would be up there. It's not hellfire and brimstone. Uh, it's not feeding the poor. It's not uh, being concerned with loving our neighbor. It's instead, how well does somebody think of me? How high of a rating would I get as their proverbial Uber driver? How often is someone clicking like on my Facebook or Instagram? Think about it. How often does the thought cross our minds, even uh, innocently? What did those people think of what I said earlier? What did they think of what I didn't say earlier? Did I make the right impression? Should I have served tacos instead of casserole? Was that uh, coffee filter gnome joke poorly placed this morning in the sermon? I'll, I'll, I'll be on that one at least till Tuesday. No sin in being tactful, but when we, when we obsess over these details of our lives, we're seeking the wrong kingdom. Preachers aren't immune to this, folks. As I was making some last-minute uh, changes to the sermon you're hearing this week, I was, I was racking my brain to explain the reason why a friend of mine and not yours truly was uh, asked to preach at, at an upcoming engagement. I'm thinking this, mind you, as I'm literally typing the words, the single most frequent source of worry. And God just kind of, I'm just going to leave this right here, Josh. Eventually, I had to stop and pray and repent for seeking Kingdom Josh at that moment and not the King of Kings. I said the word repent for a reason. 
I once heard a preacher say, worry is a sin, and this is certainly true. Worry is sin. It's selfish, idolatrous sin. And the solution uh, to the sin, like any solution to any sin, is to give it to God. Repent of it. Give it to God and move on. And then daily, give him everything. Try again the next day. All our cares, all our concerns, everything that's troubling us without trying to take it back from him ever. C.S. Lewis once said, uh, give in and admit that God is God. When we worry, we place too high a priority on creation. We devalue our creator. We follow people far too much. And by that, I don't just mean Twitter. I mean we follow people's opinions far too much and our makers far too little. But if we give in, if we let God be God, then it doesn't matter where we failed, what we've done, what we haven't done, what we said, what we didn't say. The past will be gone. All that matters is the kingdom of heaven not the concerns of the world. Now, again, this is not saying as the faithful few, we won't have a Garden of Gethsemane moments, moments not quite to that point, but it does mean maybe we can learn to trust those moments to somebody else, like the son did to the father, Luke twenty-two forty-two. One of my favorite moments in scripture, one of the most humbling, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. That's not easy. One thing I love so much about the words of Jesus is how practical they are. You know, Jesus stresses to us in our text not to worry about tomorrow because I don't know about you, but tomorrow is at least number three in my top five rotating worries. Guaranteed it's in there. It's in that list. I don't know if you're like that, um, but you know, I'm always so quick to think about getting that job done tomorrow, uh, getting that check in the mail tomorrow, getting everything ready for those people that are coming over tomorrow. I, I can't even limit my worries to what's going on right now. I can't even ruin today. I gotta drag tomorrow in with it in my worrying. So verse 34, our Lord says, because he knows this about me, <laughs> he knows this about us. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I mean, this is practical good advice. This isn't just a verse we can look up and say, what does this mean? This, this is relevant to you and, and, and to me every day. And by the way, Jesus said this directly to me. That's my verse. You can't have it. <laughs> but isn't it the truth? God gives us what? Today, right now. That's all he's ever given us is right now. We can leave tomorrow to the God of today because God will still be the God of tomorrow too. The story is told of a recently licensed pilot who flew his private plane on a cloudy day. In experience with landing, he began getting panicky when it was time for the control tower to bring him in. And suddenly a powerful voice came over his radio. You just obey instructions and let us take care of the obstructions. And friends, leaving our daily struggle up to God works very much the same way. It works very much the same way. No matter what, the Bible tells us time and time again to trust this ride called life to the control tower and let God take care of the speed bumps ahead. No matter what they are. 1 Peter 5, 7, we're told to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Not just some of it. All your anxiety. Paul tells the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. 
present your request to God. Why? Because God is God. We are not. This is very practical. This struggle of worry may be real, but guess what? So is the one who sits far above us. Amen? So how do we do this? See, I don't know what your struggles are this morning. Maybe you're struggling with a situation this morning or you're dealing with something that's nagging at you and it just won't go away. It just won't leave you alone. Maybe the more you think about a solution to this problem, maybe the fuzzier it gets. Have you ever been there? I have any time I have to fix something. That's why Tony gets so many phone calls from me. Amen. <laughs> it's on my resume. Good at breaking stuff. <laughs> but how exactly do you trust God to take care of you in this situation? One way is to remember how God is already revealed right here as taking care of us in the human condition. How does God take care of obstructions? It's all right here in the instructions. Think of Joshua in the Old Testament. Think of Joshua. Uh, one author writes, Joshua certainly could have spent plenty of time worrying. Think about it. He had enemies to conquer, rivers to cross, in-house problems to solve, land to divide fairly. Many people depended on Joshua for their safety and their well-being. But before Joshua had embarked on the task of leading the Israelites into the promised land, God had spoken to him in the strongest possible way of ridding his life of fear and worry. And do you remember what God told him? Just look uh, with me. I've got the text here on the screen uh, from the book that bears his name. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. God tells Joshua in Joshua 1.5 and in verse 9, he says, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. So do you realize that by the end of Joshua's life, um, this one author continues, Joshua is now able to talk about overcoming worry by believing God's faithfulness to his promises. See, every time Joshua acted on faith rather than fear, God came through, didn't he? And we can read all about it right here in the instruction book. God came through. He came through with everything Joshua needed to accomplish God's purposes time and time again. His struggles, they weren't overcome overnight, but in Joshua's life, struggle was overcome in time. Now today, friends, God, guess what, has made the same promise to you. To you. To you, which he made to Joshua. Just look at Hebrews 13.5, if you don't believe me. You might make a note of that text. And this, <clears throat> this is just one example, one way of how we can surrender our worry of the unknown to a God we can personally know. God, we can personally know. And uh, good news, if you like to take notes, I'm going to give you several more examples this morning. Uh, how do we stop worrying and start trusting? Well, number one, think of Joshua. Remember Joshua, not this guy, the guy in the Bible. Recognize that just as he was for Joshua, God is always with you. God is always for you. And you know what? God always loves you. You can't change that, no matter what you do. Praise God. This is so important. Repeat it to yourself if you have to. That God is always with you, He's always for you, and He always loves you. 
How else? How can we stop worrying and uh, start trusting? Solution number two. Well, those, those worrisome thoughts you have, those things that eat at you, when your mind says, obsessed with this, obsessed with this, turn those worries into verbal prayers, petitions to God. Think of Joshua, think of David, think of Jesus on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayer worked for them. Prayer can work for you. And number two will continue to be an important part of the process. Turn your worries into prayers. Turn them into prayers. Give them to God. Number three, let other people continue to be or to be your priority in responding to the situation, whatever it is. Third way is to stop worrying and start trusting God. Let other people be your top priority in how you respond to the situation. Again, um, you might make a note of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Good text for you. Uh, we've got it on the screen here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, look at the examples we have from Scripture on this one. And uh, finally, number four. This is a big one, and this is a difficult one. This is a difficult one uh, for your preacher here. Recognize your limitations. Recognize your limitations. Face it, sometimes you, you just got to recognize your, your limitations. I have to recognize my limitations every time I pick up a basketball and uh, shoot hoops with my girls because that's not a pretty sight. But we have fun. There's just a lot of running for somebody. Recognize your limitations and, and trust God has this situation in his hands, whatever it is. Here's a really cool verse uh, for you to look up, and uh, you can maybe look it up later and spend some time praying over it. Uh, Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. I won't talk through that now, but uh, make a note of that for later if you would. It's not going to be easy to do this. It's not going to be easy to turn our concerns over to God because we like to keep control of them. Sometimes we, maybe we think we, we know better about the situation, whatever it is. You got to think, if, if it was easy to do that, no matter how faithful we are, we'd always do it, wouldn't we? Well, here, God, well, that was easy. doesn't work that way. But here's an example of a, of a couple in the faith who managed to do that despite uh, their own desperate circumstances. I may have shared this one with you before. In 1905, uh, a pair of songwriters named Sevilla D. Martin and Charles H. Gabriel, and Sevilla is pictured here uh, behind me. They wrote an incredible gospel song. It was inspired by this text this morning, Matthew chapter 6, 24 to 35. Sevilla Martin, who wrote the lyrics, uh, shared this following encounter, which was also an inspiration for her writing. According to Sevilla, quote, Early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were traveling in Elmira, New York. We befriended a couple there by the name of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for 20 years. Her husband had to uh, propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. And just imagine this scenario with me, if you, if you would. Sevilla continues, despite these afflictions, the Doolittles witnessed of happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. 
One day, Sevilla writes, while we were visiting with this wonderful couple, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it, despite everything, despite their circumstances. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sevilla continues, the beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired our imaginations. And today, I think many of us, if not most of us this morning, are probably familiar with that old hymn, which was the outcome of their encounter. His eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. The Lord already has his eye on the smallest creation the world over. We can be assured that God's watching over our little corner of the world too. And so friends, if my struggle is worrying, I have to give in day by day. It's got to be a daily thing. Get up, do it again tomorrow. If I fail today, guess what? I still got to get up, do it again tomorrow. Try again tomorrow. Let God be God in my life. Let him be God, no matter my circumstances. You know, over the, 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 the course of the last year or two, started trying to make a little bit of a list here. Maybe so I could give it to God, I don't know. Just to be ornery, I even was able to go in alphabetical order for a little while. Over the course of the last year or two, I've struggled with some of the following, including anxiety, blindness, cholesterol issues, chronic pain, depression, diabetes, diverticulitis, high blood pressure. I think Jay was just going to be, I'm Josh Rude, you know, but... I didn't get that far. I stopped there. List of things to just give to God and leave in his hands. But along with being a you know, full-time minister, a student, have a wife and three children in homeschool, got all kinds of volunteer organizations to which I belong. In the future, there's a possibility I could be facing some kind of surgery on my lower back. So the struggle is worrying, the struggle's for real. But fortunately, so is my Savior. This means the weight of the world is on his back. So I can trust he's got mine. Guaranteed. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you this morning and Lord, I'd like to pray this prayer before you. And Lord, I ask that anyone here that, that may be struggling with weight, weight on their back, that, uh, Lord, they, they don't, they don't, they're not quite sure uh, what to do with this situation. They're, they're not quite sure how uh, you can be glorified and, and where things can go. Lord, I just pray that, that you would be their stronghold, that your name would be their strong tower, as your word says, Lord, no matter what's going on in the lives of everyone here. Lord, you know the details of each one of us. And you care. You care and you love us. Lord, I just pray that, that everyone here would, would trust you 
Lord, that they would feel your, your, your loving arms wrapped around them. That your spirit may lead them and guide them. Lord, I pray that uh, for those of us who, who are weak, those of us who, who look at our lives, who, uh, who can't understand what you're doing or, or why you're allowing what you may be allowing in our lives, Lord, I pray that I pray that you would help our help us in our unbelief. Lord, we live in a world in which every day, if 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 we uh, believe in you, we believe in your words, and we we want others to to embrace your words too. Lord, we know that there, that there is a there's a roaring lion on the prowl for us. Lord, every day that we're alive in this world again is going to be a struggle. I just pray, Lord, that, that we, would, we would find our ref, refuge in you. Remind us of your word. Help us to be in your word, in your Psalms. We read, Lord, of David and how he gave his concerns and his cares and anxiety. He placed them at your feet, Lord, and, and he, he cried out to you for your protection. Lord, help us be like David. Be like Joshua. Help us to be ultimately like Jesus, who said, not our will, but yours. Lord, I pray this prayer for each one of us here this morning. Lord, we know of your love for us. We've seen it at the cross. I just pray, Lord, that, that we would have the strength to give in and call upon your name. And Lord, this morning, if there's one that, that wouldn't know you, if there's anyone here that uh, hasn't followed you, hasn't uh, been obedient to take on that name of Jesus Christ, who hasn't gone down into those uh, waters of baptism, that hasn't uh, been a new creation in you, I pray, Lord, that they would be spoken to. Come forward and make that decision. Lord, help us to bring our worries, our cares and concerns and leave them at the cross on this day and in the days to come. It's in the powerful, holy name of Jesus Christ I pray these things. Amen. If you do have a decision that you, you would like to make this morning, we invite you to come forward. We're going to stand and sing an invitation song called Good to Me. And I do challenge you in the days to come because every day, you know, every day is a new wonderful day in the Lord, but sometimes, sometimes it feels like a new, new set of problems, doesn't it? <laughs> Remember, He is there. Remember, He's there. He's always been there and He will always be there. And one day He's going to come back. And your worries will be over, guaranteed, for an eternity, for an eternity. It'll be heaven. Until that day comes, stand strong, stand strong in him. Would you stand and sing? Would you cry out from your heart for his hand of mercy, for his love to free you this morning?